This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis.
summer in the city really doesn't get much better, does it? Hello and welcome back to this week's 606 Club Straight Ahead show. We started off with a track from the album Bloom from Rosie Freighter-Taylor, our guest last week. And uh, that track we just listened to is the current single from that set, Just My Type. Loads of great music to bring you, as always, on the show this week. And our guest is composer and pianist Fergus McCready. More about him in a little while's time. Let's carry on now with the current single, of which we had the first play last week, from Wildcard. And this is their next single, Definitely Maybe. Oh, 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 
Wildcard and their current single, Definitely Maybe. To come on the show this week, we will be playing music from David Gordon's trio and Adam Glasser, both of whom are with us at the club this week. The brand new single from Paul Edis. We've got music from Callum Gourlay, Nigel Price and the Abbey Finn Trio too. That's all to come on this week's Straight Ahead, a busy show. Next, though, is the current and new single from my co-host, who will be back with me on the studio in a couple of weeks' time, Joe Harrop, from the brand new album that's coming up later in the year. And this is her current single, Red Mary Janes and a Brand New Hat. I've got my red Mary Janes and a brand new hat. What do you think about that? Nothing's gonna stop me tonight. I've got my microphone in my hand and a fine red wine. I'll leave my troubles behind. Nothing's gonna stop me tonight. I'm gonna whisper the blues right in your ear Sing so softly, only you can hear And every word is meant just for you Damn, ain't it funny what a little moon like can do I've got my red Mary Jane And the world is mine I'm gonna kiss the sky And leave a little sugar behind Brand new hat. <laughs> 
excellent single from Joe Harrop, Red Mary Janes, and a brand new Hat Features. Jason Rebello on the piano, Troy Miller on drums, Jihad Darwish is on bass, and Jamie McCready on guitar. And it's uh, the lead single from a new album that's coming out from Joe later on this summer. And uh, I dare say Joe and I will talk a little bit about that when we are back together in a couple of weeks' time. Next to play is another track from the hot new album from Nigel Price. It's called Wes Reimagined. We've been playing tracks from it over the last few weeks. As you know, it's uh, quite simply brilliant. That's why I'm playing tracks from it. Simple as that. The lineup is wonderful. Of course, you've got Nigel on guitar. Ross Stanley's on the Hammond B3. You've got Joel Barford on drums. Vasilis Sinopolis is on tenor sax. Tony Kofi on the alto. Snowboy features on the Congos, Bongos and uh, Percussion. And Callum Owl has done the string arrangements on the album and also features on trombone. And from that set, we're going to play So Do It. <laughs>
track So Do It is just one of 10 tracks you'll find on the album Wes Reimagined. It's released on your Ubuntu label and probably the best way for you to add that album to your collection is to go over to Nigel's own website. At least that way you can be absolutely assured that Nigel is getting all of the proceeds. These albums are not cheap to make and uh, in these times we really need to support musicians. Next to play is a track from the Abby Finn trio album Northern Perspective. On the album it is of course led by Abby Finn herself on drums. Harry Keeble is on sax and the bass player is Paul Granger. Let's go listen to North Meets South.
I mentioned that we had the brand new single to play from the brilliant pianist Paul Edis. Paul's got an album coming out later this year, The Still Point of the Turning World, and was one of the artists featured at the Jazz on a Summer's Evening Showcase at London's Cadogan Hall just a short while ago. And uh, this is the lead single from the album. It really sums up the dreamlike atmosphere of the album. We are about to listen to the brand new single from that album called Start Over.
mentioned that our guest on the show this week is pianist Fergus McCready, who was awarded Best Instrumentalist at the Scottish Jazz Awards at the age of only 20. He's got a hell of a future in front of him. And uh, through the course of the interview, we're going to be listening to tracks from the album Can that he released recently. And in fact, we're going to start off with the title track from that album. You're listening to me, David Lewis, and this is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of Chelsea. If you want to know what's happening at the 6, check out the website at 606club.co.uk.
Fergus, welcome to Straight Ahead. Lovely to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So are you well? It's probably one of the first questions we should uh, ask. Keeping healthy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just trying to you take advantage of all the spare time, to be honest. Do some, do some practice, uh, do some exercise before things kind of get, get too busy again, you know. Well, why don't we start though, actually? How have you found the lockdown period? I know we're sort of now we're on this roadmap coming out of it and you being in mm. Scotland, I, don't, I guess your timescales are slightly different to ours. But how have you, A, found your motivation during the course of the last uh, 12 months? And, and right now, what's your, focusing, what's your focus on? So, I mean, the motivation, a bit, a bit up and down, actually, if I'm, if I'm really honest. I think the initial like uh, plunge into lockdown I think it was like a complete change of pace from my normal life, you know, so like normally I'd be like not home. I'd be out of my house more than I was in it because I would Mm. be out like traveling, gigging, staying different places and stuff. And then to go from that to completely just in my house all the time. But I actually went to my parents' house initially uh, just to have some, because I just live by myself to just have some company. You're still Um, living in Scotland, I take it, are you? Yeah, still in Scotland. Right, yeah, yeah. But... So that that initial like month or two months, I was pretty in terms of like playing. I don't think I was really playing at all, just because I couldn't. It was just so weird to like play to not there to not be like a point. I never kind of, yeah the playing, you know. Yeah. Um. So at that time, I did a lot more like hill walking and and video games basically. <laughs> um. But then after that, so what? I've just been able to set myself I think more goals. It's kind of getting back to like almost how it was when I was a teenager, just doing a lot of practice then. It's kind of similar to now. So I'm trying to play a lot of classical music, which is obviously technically is actually quite challenging for me. So that's been really good to try and learn some sort of Chopin and um, trying to learn a lot more folk tunes as well. I think I know some, but like like real folk musicians, not me, who's like a, a bit of a fake folk musician. They know like hundreds and hundreds of reels and stuff and jigs. So I'm just trying to up my knowledge of them, trying to learn a few of them a week and uh, just trying to get the jazz improvising a bit more fluid, I suppose. So yeah, I think the motivation dipped initially, but right now I'm I'm really, really enjoying the practice. And part of me, while I can't wait to go back to normal times, part of me will be a bit sad to not be doing as much practice, you know? Yeah, I know, it's odd. We've, I, I, I kind of, it, it, you feel like you're fake to say it, but it's it's seeing this come to an end. We've got so used to it now, it's become a way of life and it's like, oh, I've yeah. got to go back to real life now. And go mix with people again and do that stuff we used to do. It's, it's, it's an odd transition. It very much is, yeah. I think, I think playing-wise, going back to gigs will be fine, but going back to doing stage chat again on gigs is going to be, um, going to be a bit of a challenge, I think. It was a, a question I've, I've, I've asked a couple of musicians. Do you feel that you're kind of ring rusty? Or do you think you might be ring rusty once you do get back in the live environment? Actually, no. I, I actually think it'll, be, it'll just feel really fresh, I think. Um, we were lucky, the three of us, me and the other two in the trio, Dave and Stephen, we were lucky to do a gig back in October in, in Leeds. And that was our first gig in a long time. Um, and it was great. It was really, it felt really fresh and like good. So I'm thinking when it goes back to normal times, it will feel like that. I think everyone will be really tired all the time because the threshold for like doing stuff is going to be very low. But um, in general, I don't, I don't really feel rusty especially because I'm, I'm kind of playing every day as well it's more um it's more just getting back into the swing of musician lifestyle i think it's funny what you said about being tired i was talking to another musician yesterday and she was saying to me in the old days i was used to just being tired and running on time but now i like my sleep 
I've got used to having yeah. a night's sleep and suddenly not, you know, not running on fumes. She's got used to that lifestyle. So, but, uh, and of course, we'll be talking about yeah. your latest album in a, in a short while's time as well. But, um, so if we go back to, you're obviously born and bred in Scotland. You were born in Jamestown, I believe, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. We have nice. Yeah. And uh, musical influences, where did that come to in the family then? Well, um, mostly through my mum, actually. My mum is a massive like, music fan. She's really into just a lot of like interesting stuff. Um, so I think it's a combination of just my mom having music on in the house all the time and that, and not necessarily, not even jazz actually, she was, she listens to a lot of, um, American folk music, like bluegrass and, um, country and stuff like that. And then some, she listens to a lot of classical music as well. The biggest like Dolly Parton fan of all time, actually she is. Um, and then, but I grew up with that and then just generally, I mean, in Scotland, it's it's so hard because the folk music thing is so strong. It's actually quite hard to evade it. There was actually in the town I grew up in, there was a pipe band that would practice like every morning at eight o'clock. So when I was like walking to school, school. I could like hear that hear that band. And um, so hearing that every day, I think I don't don't think I realised it at the time, but that must have had like some kind of subconscious influence, you know. So um, yeah. And so did that lead to lessons at school? Did you take piano lessons at school or? I initially, yeah, initially it was part of, it was when there were more like te- just teachers kicking around at schools that you could just get music lessons from. So I did that initially. Um, and then, then I think I went like, as I started to get more into jazz and I wanted like a specific jazz teacher, that was, um, when I went maybe not as much at school, if that makes sense. And um, where did the first introduction to jazz come from? Where did you first get uh, influences to from from that genre? Well, it's it's actually a really random a really random story. So I've been playing classical music and doing the grades and stuff since I was seven, and like being very very much mediocre at it. I wasn't like anything. I definitely was nothing special by like quite. Oh, a long so you weren't a, a young um, prodigy then? It's not like you were earmarked oh, at a very in, young age. No, and I've had to do so much practice to like get get okay at piano. Like, no, not in any way. <laughs> I wish I wish I had been. It would have been easier. Less, <laughs> work. That was not that was not the case at all. It was actually didn't come that easily to me. I think, um, especially in the initial years, just that initial slog of starting to get your mechanics on the piano. That was not. I wasn't particularly good at that. I don't think. Um, but I believe I must have been like 12 or 13 and my piano teacher at the time had a flyer for a jazz course, a week long jazz course in the summer. Um, and he was like, oh, why don't you try this? You always seem to like the jazz pieces that we do in the like ABRSM grades or whatever. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. But not having any clue of like how like ridiculously different playing jazz to classical is like how there's no sheet music at all. But I think I just went there. And it was, um, there were two piano tutors there. There's a guy called Richard Michael, who's like an absolute Scottish um, education legend. And um, Ewan Stevenson, who's a really, really incredible piano player as well. And they played like a duet on the piano together. And that was, that was it. That was like, I kind of realized why it was just more, it was mostly just realizing that music could be fun and not something that you just like slave over endlessly, you know. So did you feel um, a, a freedom was, then when you were coming from classical, which as I understand it, obviously is a very, very formal and formatted style of music. Did you feel a great air of freedom mm-hmm. when you suddenly found this whole improvisation idea and that you could b- express your own ideas more freely? Was that kind of a, a moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it was more, I mean, maybe it was more, it took me a while again, so I wouldn't say I, 
was particularly like natural at this kind of stuff. Maybe it took me a while to get good at good at being able to express myself, just sitting on an instrument and improvising or whatever. That took some time. Um, but that drive, I just knew like seeing someone do that and I just knew that I wanted to do that. So I would have, you know, would have stopped at nothing until I could kind of get to that, that place where it wasn't even about being good or anything. It was just about being able to sit at the instrument and just, just play without it being a concern, you know, and that's something you can definitely achieve with classical music as well. I just, I just hadn't been shown that, you know, right. as I had for jazz. So that was the, that was the motivation. Being a non-musician, and obviously the amount of musicians I now get to talk to, I've kind of learned a little bit. But improvisation mm. looks so easy, and yet it's really not, is it? It's re- it must be kind yeah. of daunting because you're left with an open stage, an open section of music, and it's down to you at that moment in time. It must be daunting. It's, I mean, clearly, obviously, you know that the talent you've got is your job. You know <laughs> what you're doing, but it, it, it's yeah. not as easy as, as musicians make it look. Is the point I'm driving at? Oh, absolutely. And well, I think the 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 thing I always say to to my students now is that you know everyone remembers their first solo because it's like the scariest thing. It's the scariest thing imaginable. But the more time goes on, I think the more you get used to it. And now, now that's like a feeling I absolutely cherish, like being able to walk. The best gigs I find are when I can walk on stage with no conceived idea of what's going to happen at all, and then that way, that's where it's kind of the most fun. So I think. Just the more you can embrace that freedom, the better the music is, you know. And and I, I wonder if this question does translate. I've uh, raised a saxophone. She's away at uni, you know, doing that. And is it the same with pianists that it's down to vocab? It's down to repertoire and, and having that, all those ideas and knowledge in your head to, that you can pull on. Is that the way that you structure your improv as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think my when I improvise, it's just a complete massive mishmash of everything that I everything that I've learned, whether that be folk tunes or I think the folk tunes actually play a big part in it. Um, but also like the classical training that I've like done in more recent years as well. And um, just like listening and learning loads of jazz solos as well. So I think it's, it's like the case of once you know the harmony really thoroughly, once you understand like I know another piece of music that itself bleeds naturally into your um, playing. It's almost like I kind of liken it to talking a lot of the time if you're just talking normally and then let's say you like read a book which is like got a particular vernacular in it you're actually quite likely i think to pick some of that up and start talking maybe a little bit in that, that way, way as well. yeah so um, are there any are there big influences on you when you suddenly found this world of jazz who are the, the guys that really made an impression on you and you really wanted to listen to when i was uh when i was younger um which is kind of surprising given the direction that i've gone now which is more the contemporary side of things but when i was younger i loved all the old musicians like people like oscar peterson and art tatum and bill evans and um even be, beyond that like fats waller and just i i actually really wanted to be a stride pianist originally that's was my that's what i really really liked um but i definitely like for at least like three years until maybe i like started listening to other stuff oscar peterson was like i don't know 75 percent of my <laughs> my listening he was <laughs> such a hero to me um i wouldn't say i listen to him as much now but i still obviously have that massive respect but um in terms of like formative influences he was he was he was the man, was the man. he was he was great yeah. and i know you said that you were by no means a, a prodigy which kind of flies in the face of being the young scottish jazz musician of the year not once but twice so <laughs> i guess <laughs> you kind of took it quite well then we could say <laughs> yeah yeah and um i was i mean i was really lucky to have some like amazing teachers and um I was very lucky that my parents didn't mind me like practicing hours and hours a day. It didn't drive them too mental. So at least most of the time. So um, 
I think I had, I had some lucky circumstances, which meant I could um, get get like okay at like a sort of earlier age. You know? And did it become fairly obvious to you at those sort of middle teenage years that you wanted to go? Because you went off to the uh, Scottish, well, Conservatory of Scotland, didn't you? So did it become clear mm. as you're doing the GCSEs and A-levels that you wanted to go and do a music degree? Oh, it was it was clear as soon, like that moment where I saw the people playing jazz, it was clear then. I didn't tell, didn't tell my parents that necessarily because maybe they wanted me to be a doctor or something more stable but i knew then that's i didn't want to do anything else with my life you know i i knew that i wanted to play music and of course there's, there's certain conservatoires i mean down in london we're blessed we've got the th- three main ones but then sort of i'm thinking of birmingham leeds they're very well renowned for their jazz courses what's the royal conservatoire of scotland set up like i i think it's an incredibly underrated course it's a very young course it's still only like 12 years old or something like that um, compared to like the Guildhall Jazz Course, which is like decades old, mm-hmm. for example, um, I think what that course is really spe- is it's not. I don't think you're gonna go there necessarily and like come out and like not everyone comes out like as like an absolute machine necessarily. Everyone comes out as the, very much their own musician. Um, I'm not sure how they managed to do this, but it's just they make you do a lot of writing and they make you play like a lot of interesting music. I think. And, you really do come out of that course with your own personality more so than other courses. And that's not a criticism or um, anything of the other places, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, for example, like everyone that I play with that went there writes their own music and has their own band and has their own sound. And that's why I think the Scottish jazz scene is so exciting now is that there's a lot of people kicking around doing really interesting, different stuff. You know? you, you've made two very interesting points I wanted to pick up. And when you said the mechanical sound of some conservatoires, and again, I come at this from a, a non-biased and non-musician standpoint, I've heard a lot of uh, guys say from Trinity, and you can almost shut your eyes and hear the sound. They kind mm. of almost breed a certain kind, a very high standard musician, but nonetheless, there is a certain almost sound. And from what you're saying, from your experience up in Scotland, it, it was just more free. It was those shackles had gone. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's more, there's just much more of a focus on doing your own thing, really. Um, like a lot of conservatoires, again, not a, not a criticism of either. Of course, no, 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 a crit- no. A lot of conservatoires have like, exams where you have to like play like this certain chord change or this certain exercise in all 12 keys um so everyone has to be able to do that so everyone spends probably a lot of time doing that um whereas rcs you know your teacher will tell you to do that but if you didn't do that you would be um you would be fine if that makes sense yeah yeah um so there's a lot more it's just like more freedom i think to work in your own thing and Whereas like what you are made to do at RCS, which you're maybe not made to do it as much at other colleges is write. You have to write a tune at least once every week, um, if not more. And then like your end of year, like a big part of your degree is like an end of year big composition, like eight minutes for mute for like musicians and stuff. So like you you just develop I think everyone develops a sense of what they're into just by having to write quite a lot of music, pretty much from the get-go, actually. Is it a three year course? A four year. Four-year course. And did you ever consider trying out for the London Conservatoires or any of the other conservatoires, as we mentioned, Leeds, Birmingham, or was it always going to be Scotland at that point? Honestly, no, not really, because, but not more from a practical standpoint, Mm. because in Scotland, I can go for free. It doesn't cost me anything, whereas if I went to London, it would cost a lot of money. And it was also, I mean, I actually But then no tuition fees then for... 
in in in, in Scotland. There, so there you, are, you hear my incredulation because I, I say I've just put a daughter through university. Yeah, so yeah, I wish yeah. that I was born in Scotland. So what's the setup there? So, then? That's interesting. I think it's only if you're Scottish. If you're Scottish, you can get free tuition in Scotland. I right, think. but right. like English people who come up from England still pay, the pay same, yeah. I believe. Yep, yep. Um, I don't think it's free. I do think I had to pay something small, but it's not. It's nowhere near how expensive mm. it is. That's it, basically. Mm.
track we just heard was called Tree Climbing, another track that you'll find on the recently released album Can from Fergus McCready. The uh, artists on the album, of course, are Fergus on piano. You've got David Bowden on double bass and Stephen Henderson is on the drums. And more from Fergus and that album in a short while's time. But first, ahead of that, let's go and meet one of the artists that is with us at the club this coming week. We have got Dave Gordon's trio with us this coming Thursday. On the stand along with David will be Ollie Hayhurst on the bass and Tim Hooper will be on the drums. We're going back to an album that David released back in 2005. The title track from the album, Angel Feet. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight ahead with London's leading music venue, The 606 Club.
Angel Feet from David Gordon and his trio, and they are with us at the club later today on Thursday the 17th of June. And the rest of the artists that are featuring at the club this week are on Friday, you've got Dan Torres, then on Saturday, Adam Glasser, from who we will be hearing a little bit later on, and then on Sunday, a real good kind of Sunday groove from Lex Cameron, along with special guest Mary Pierce. And as I said, I'll be playing something from Adam Glasser in a little while's time. But we are going to return to our interview and to our guest this week, Fergus McCready, and another track from the album, Ken, An Old Friend.
was I assume while you were at the RCS that uh, you put or began to put together the trio that you now make albums with and tour with? Is that where you mm-hmm. met the guys? Yeah, it is. Um, well, actually, uh, the way I met Stephen, I uh, the drummer, I drummer, met yeah. him. He's he's Scottish. David is English. So I didn't meet him until there wasn't really a chance to meet him until we were both at the course at the same time. But Stephen, he's a bit older than me, um, and he used to do like he was like. He was like the drummer that everyone like looked up to. And like, you know, when he was like 17, I must have been 13. And when I saw him playing, I was like, oh, that's like, uh, it's very scarily impressive or whatever, you know. Um, so so it, it was kind of random how we maybe done a bit of youth band stuff together, but then ended up on the same course and ended up playing together all the time. Um, but yeah, basically, when I was on the course randomly, it's a really, it's actually a really small course. They don't let many people on at all. Um, and when I was there, it was me and one other person in my year, and we were the only two piano players. Wow. So we ended up playing a lot with like the people in other years. And this is when Dave and Stephen were in fourth year. So I ended up, so they were kind of like the rhythm section of like of choice, the two of them. So it ended up being that if I did someone else's project, they would be on it as well. So naturally, I think we were even playing as a rhythm section loads and loads before we'd even tried to do, go on a gig out on our own if that makes sense when did the band actually kick off when did you start uh, playing the trio i think our first gig was at glasgow jazz festival in 2015 i want to say so i know we've done uh, a couple of festivals i know edinburgh and glasgow i know we've done a, the band the trio's been at a few festivals and then you won or the, the trio won the peter whittingham jazz award as well right yeah that's so right. so obviously you made quite a big impression very quickly with this trio yeah i think again it is it was kind of right place at the right time luck stuff you know uh, i i had known i had known the director of like edinburgh jazz festival for example from from like winning that competition earlier on so if i me wanting to do that trio game mm-hmm. it was it was easy i just had to e- like email him and say and he would say yeah he was up for it. um and the peter whittingham thing and that's still that's still gobsmacking to me to this day to be honest um i remember like coming out of that uh, and getting a phone call like 20 minutes later being like oh you got it and i, I just couldn't it was pretty gosh i couldn't actually believe that um so yeah that's how do you get to hear about those awards? is it do you get a phone call do you get an email how do you know you're either in the you, throes you're, just... you're supposed to get uh an official email like a week after um but uh one of the panel who i actually um had known before from like a uh, like youth course had to like phone me 20 minutes after just to say I'd got it. I won't say who it is. Cause, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. But, I was going to um... ask. I was going to put you on the spot. <laughs> and then, of course, you started to make albums. I think two albums the, the trio's recorded and released. Is that right? The first two, of which was right, yeah. Turas. And I took yep. some time to look that up. Is that, and did it, I'm guessing it might be, so the word, the Irish word for journey. Is that right? So is this a, a journey of an album for you? Yeah, kind of. It's um, it's it's actually it's 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 in the Irish Gaelic Turas, and it's also in the Scottish Gaelic as well. So it's both kind of words. So I could took it from the Scottish Gaelic. Right. So it means means journey. That's right. And yeah, that album is more like I think all the places that I reference in that album are places that I've got like quite a specific connection to. They're all I think they're all place names in that album, or at least really specific references to places. Mm-hmm. So it kind of naturally came made sense that to call it that because it was like a bit of a an an oral journey through like um through like the places i'd like grown up in or or spent time in or been inspired by you know and what's the writing 
the process for writing for you? Uh, is it emotionally driven? Can you be in a certain place and, and you'll recognise, I want to write about that place? How does it work for you? Is it a mechanical thing or an emotional thing? It's very, it's a very sporadic thing for for one. Uh, I, I find I like, I'll have like a month of like writing a lot of tunes and then like a year of writing nothing. It's it's really bizarre actually. Um, like I can get myself into a practice zone, no problem. But like getting into a writing zone, it's a very specific state of mind, I think. But no, the inspiration for naming the tunes actually always comes after the fact for me. Um, I think if I, if I take a thing and say, I'm going to write a tune about this, it actually get, gets quite frustrating because you're kind of trying to force a certain image onto a certain idea or whatever. Um, that's harder. What I usually actually do is like, I'll like fool around the piano a bit, like come up with an idea. If I like that idea, I'll kind of work it into a tune. Then once the tune exists, I'll just leave it to sit there. And like I've got like seven or eight unnamed tunes sitting on my piano just now, actually. Um, and then once like once I'll maybe like be just like thinking about something or I'll be somewhere or I'll just be like playing the tune and it'll pop into my head. Or this reminds me of that. And then I ended up and then that's how the kind of titles end up being that way. That and so sense. you've gone from the album to us, which was, you said, all about the journeys and places onto the, the latest album, Cairn. And I'm right in assuming mm. that's all to do rock-based kind of, as in elements. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's more. It's much more vague in terms of what it is. There's no specific places really on that as much. It's more, it's very, I kind of wanted that to be quite landscapey and, and yeah, kind of rocky. So like that, the, those images of like Scottish mountains, you know, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to try and convey with that. Um, and and do you feel that musically, the way you're expressing yourself between the two albums, is that to, uh, have, can you sense your own development as a musician between the two? Yeah, abs- I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think just I was really I was really quite young actually when I did Juras. I think I was 19, mm-hmm. and then I was 22 when I did um, Karen. So I mean, basically, that's just like three more years of practicing the piano, but also. More importantly, I think it's three year, three more years of playing with that trio. So that trio. It felt when we were in the studio for the first album, it was kind of like, oh, this is the first album. This is a bit nerve wracking, you know, whatever. Whereas the second album, it was, it was so comfortable. We just went mm. in. I think we finished like really finished like halfway through the second day. Like we had loads of time left. Um, you so actually like, came down to England to record the second album, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. H- we, Hastings. Really nice, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a studio with a really nice piano there that I like recording it. Now that's something I, I, I was talking to Gabriel Action, I remember a while back, and that the, yeah, because you, of course your stock and trade means you can't take your instrument with you. You're relying on what you turn up to gig on. So I'm assuming you just mentioned that that studio and the reason we're picking that studio it had a particularly good piano. Pianos, I, I take it, do vary to the touch to your hand. You can feel a different piano, I, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. It's so every, literally every piano is completely different. Um, and it, it, even the more I practice, the more I find that genuinely. Like you could take two Steinways that were made one after the other, and they're the exact same model, be made in the exact same way, mm. but they'll be completely different to play, and there will there will definitely be one that I prefer. You know. So if you're um, out gigging uh, and you know you're going to a certain club, and I'm guessing not dressing up too politely here, there must be certain venues that just got dogs of pianos, and you must go yeah. there thinking. Oh no, geez, I've got to play on, on that one again. Does that kind of cross your mind? Um, it, no, actually, no. No, it no? doesn't really. Um, I don't mind the, the challenge. I remember we did a gig once in Lithuania um, in this really cool little 
club in Vilnius. Um, the piano was, was awful, so bad, like <laughs> impossible. Like the pedals squeaked and like the heat <laughs> stuck. It was really difficult to play. But I think that can make, I think if you're okay, um, I think especially for jazz, it's kind of, it's, it's okay. If you're okay, just letting that influence your playing, it's kind of fine, you know? So I think I sound probably, maybe it's not as obvious to other people, but I feel and sound different on every instrument, I think. And it's cool to like maybe go one night playing like a really nice grand to another night playing like a, a not as nice upright. I think when you're not as nice upright, you know, you would just play a bit more percussively and mm. um, you just got to find different ways to fall in love. Cause like, um, a saxophone player has got like years and years to fall in love with their one instrument. You just have to develop that ability as a piano player, I think, to like play an instrument and find what, find something good about it and work with that. You know? I, I, I totally agree. And, and I will say though, with say with Selmas, for instance, I remember being in a blow room and listening to two Mark sixes being played and they sounded so mm. different. And as you were just saying, two yeah. pianos can be built same day almost, one after the other and be different. With saxes, I mean, yes, I totally take your point. And once that sax player or horn player finds their horn, it's with them generally for life and mm. it's theirs. You've got a very different uh, set of rules to play by, but it's just odd the way instruments are so, so, well, they're individuals, aren't they? They've got their own characters. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I think like as a piano player, you've got to be quite sociable among, among instruments, you know. And the other point, I, I, I just, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just going back to when we were talking about the education system there and you were saying Scotland is it does seem to be roasting at the moment. You are turning out some great jazz musicians, aren't you? Yeah. So there's something um, good happening up there. I don't know if it's in the water, but, uh, well, it's just the RCS. <laughs> I don't know, but it, there's some, you know, it's, I'm thinking because I've been playing a lot of Matt Carmichael recently as well. And, you know, there's, there's some great yeah. musicians around. There really is, you know? Yeah. Matt, Matt is very special, actually. He's, he's incredible. Um, I mean, to be honest, I genuinely think Scotland has always made amazing jazz musicians, actually. Um, and you find them dotted about all over the place in random parts of the world, like um, like Callum Callum Gurley, for example. He's Scottish. He he's from like a town very close to where I'm from, and he went to the same youth bands and stuff. But there hasn't always been something to concentrate all the musicians into one place before. Mm. I think people get sort of good and then leave basically, or or stay, and there's not like a one thing binding everyone together. Whereas now. Because there's this course at the RCS, actually, you know, like I say, because it's because it's cheap. A lot of people end up going there, and that's and you're kind of forced to work together, and then that creates a creates a scene. And I think that's why I don't know. I think uh, what's a way to say this, like in a good way? I just think like Scottish people are are good at jazz, actually, and it's only now because it's being because we're being concentrated together that we're actually working together and doing Scottish bands that are Scottish influenced and have that identity, you know, and that's why people are maybe starting to pick up on it. No, it's great to see it so fervent and so hot at the moment. And again, having spoken with you now and talked with you, the influences of, of folk were coming through and what I was listening to. And it's clearly now that those influences are very much as a young kid were ingrained into you and, and you're managing to write. Is it subconscious or conscious that you're writing those kind of melody lines in? It's sort it's well now it's a combo of the two but initially it was i think when i first started writing tunes i really wanted to write hard jazz tunes that were like really swinging or something and i just that always felt uncomfortable and then if i would edit them i used to like spend like ages like trying to edit and edit tunes until they got to like a place that i liked and it would always end up being at a folky place and i don't mm. really know why that was so i think now i just know that's like the place of comfort if that makes sense not mm. that you want to be too comfortable with 
your creativity because then it stagnates. But um, I think I know that that's the sound world that I want to go for. So it's like a combo of the two, I think. So are you beginning to feel that uh, gigs are coming back now, promoters or clubs being back in touch with you at all over the last couple of weeks? And what's the scale, time scale for you in Scotland? On, I mean, obviously you will tour England and nationally as well, internationally. Mm. But how are you feeling at the moment about the, you know, the gig scene opening up? I'm kind of... I, me personally... Um, my personal approach is not to not to hope for anything too soon just yet, actually, which I know is like quite a pessimistic, oh, uh, realistic, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just because it seemed like it was everything was going to come back in October, and I got really excited actually. I remember doing that gigs in Le- that gig in Leeds. Um, I felt really good after that, and then like absolutely slumped after it because because nothing happened after mm. it. So that was just before another lockdown. Mm. So this time. So gigs are sort of coming back and I've got like quite a few bookings, especially more in, I think Scotland is being especially very cautious at the moment. Um, I've got more gigs kind of booked in England actually than Scotland just now. But um, when do they yeah, start? Just, so, so May time onwards, I guess, is when you're beginning to see the, the diary pick up again? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I think the first in-person gig I've got booked in the diary is June, actually. Um, and then I have a couple of festival gigs in summer. And then later on in the year, actually, I have like quite a few things that will pick up back to normal. Hopefully. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just waiting for... I, th- I think this summer will be good, but I don't want to get my hopes up too much, basically. And you mentioned earlier on, you mentioned the word student. So obviously you're an educator as well. People can get in touch with you and you're happy to teach. And I'm, I'm guessing you now do a lot of remote teaching, mm. which makes it even better for you, I guess, in many ways, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I don't have to leave my house. Exactly. That. Um, I'll have to, as long as the area around the piano is tidy as well. Um, no, yeah, I'm not doing, I'm doing, so I do have like, I have some private students who I teach and who are just like inter- inter- interested in learning more jazz or whatever. Um, and I have like, so the Edinburgh Jazz Festival has a little facet of it, like a little jazz school thing. And I, I um, teach on that as well. So that's like teaching like quite a few people on Zoom. Usually it's like in-person combos jamming and stuff but over zoom it kind of turns a bit more into like a um, just like teaching mm. almost mm. like talking talking at them like a let it's kind of like lecturing in a way so i'm kind of like preparing more like a talk about this specific thing that you can for them to go practice. away and practice yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah and then so hopefully with gigs coming back have you got any plans recording wise is the third album i know you said you've got about 10 12 tra- uh, numbers sitting on your piano at the moment is so is there another album in the offing yeah, there there is actually. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say. Like, I won't label, press but, you. Um, but I think we we have a session booked in July, so we will have recorded some music by the end of the summer, uh, which is which is very exciting actually. So maybe we'll be early next year. Potentially, yeah. yeah. We're working on like the tunes and like rehearsals just now, so. Uh, so we'll see we'll see what happens fantastic stuff so it's, I always like to make mention where people can find you on the socials because it's great to keep up with you guys and you are one of the easy ones because it's the same everywhere pretty much it's fergusmccready.co.uk on Instagram it's fergusmccready and on Twitter it's fergusmccready <laughs> because you're, you're, it's odd oh, trying to find musicians sometimes it can be so onerous mm. you just can't find them for love nor money and I began looking for you <laughs> and it's super easy to follow so <laughs> really easy and of course you're also it's... on Bandcamp as well so yeah absolutely yeah this is the this is the advantage of my mom giving me like a unique Gallic name. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it super easy to find. So, and as you said, yeah. luckily the enthusiasm's come back, and you certainly look like you're brimful with ideas and raring to get going again. So, fingers crossed, this lockdown stays 
you know, once they release us, it stays put and we're able to get back out to gigs. I've been missing going to gigs, so God knows what it must be like for the guys on stage like you wanting to get back out and do what you do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to just just playing all the time, you know, and playing with other musicians. I miss that so much. Have you got into the, have you done much of the live streaming kind of thing? Is that something you decided to dip into or avoid? I actually did really a lot of live streaming initially. I, so what I did is um i live streamed every tuesday night i would just turn on the live stream and like improvise just for like an hour or two hours or whatever just however long i fancied playing for mm-hmm. um so no plans no like no specific tunes unless i like did like one at the end or something i did that like every tuesday for about four months i think wow and then and then that was that was enough that was live streaming <laughs> um i think i think after it was actually interesting doing that because that's I think that's a really good way doing the, just like completely improvising. It's a good way to expose what feels comfortable to you and what doesn't feel comfortable. And I think after that, I had so many things I wanted to practice that actually taking Oh, this, so it's actually very good for you technically. Absolutely. Yeah. So it taking in a way, taking this like sabbatical now of gigs has meant I can come back with like more stuff in my hands that I'm kind of able to do, which is which is a nice feeling. And before I let you go, have you actually done any gigs at clubs that have been live streamed? Because of course at the six, you know, we're live streaming regularly now and, and the investment's been mm-hmm. made. Have you had to do any gigs that have been live streamed? I've done a couple. I did one for the Globe in Newcastle actually and that was really, really nice. So I've got a feeling live streaming is going to be a part of a musician's armory for a good few years to come. Because obviously with restricted mm-hmm. numbers at these venues, which I'm sure will be part of it for a time to come. I think to try yeah. and keep their revenue up, if they can get a couple of quid for people watching on the live streams and as they've invested in already. So I'm sure you guys are going to have cameras facing you for a good, <laughs> a good little while to come. But uh, Fergus, I've really enjoyed having a chat with you. It's been fascinating. It really has been. And uh, I can only thank you for coming on the show. And uh, when that third album is finally released, please make sure we get a copy. I'd love to support you. Absolutely. I'll send it along. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Fergus, Fergus McCready, thank you so much indeed.
Straight Ahead with David Lewis. Listen to Adibi, a track that you'll find on the stunning second album from Adam Glasser called Mzanzi. And Adam is with us at the club this week. Uh, apart from being a fantastic pianist, he's also a wonderful harmonica player too. And on stage alongside Adam will be guitarist Rob Luft. On the bass will be Steve Watts, tenor sax supplied by George Crowley. And drummer will be 
Corey Dick. During the interview with uh, Fergus McCready, we mentioned Callum Gourlay, so I thought we'd play a track from Callum now, and this is B minor.
part of our summer season down at the club is the now famed Jazz on the Lawn at Fulham Palace. And this year it takes place over the weekend of Friday the 13th of August. On Friday we have Polly Gibbons with us and then on Sunday the 15th of August we have got Wayne Hernandez. Of course all those details you can find over on our website 606club.co.uk. Come rain, come shine, there will be jazz on the lawn at Fulham Palace. Time now to play something from Dean Stockdale, Time for Change.
Bean Stockdale, Time for Change, and you'll find that track on his latest album, Promise the Moon. Thank you so much for your company over the last couple of hours. I hope you enjoyed our guest, Fergus McCready. Don't forget to check out uh, his albums over on Bandcamp and obviously on all of his social media and on his website too. And I'll be back next week with another guest and more wonderful music. We will play out this week, though, with a track from Matt Carmichael, and we are going to listen to Hopeful Morning. Thanks for your company, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.